Hello, welcome to Capital Musings, the official podcast of the United Nations Capital Development Fund, UNCDF. I am filling in for our regular host, Eduardo Tanzioni. My name is David Mikhail. I am here specifically to interview an important practice leader in the organization. Before I introduce Krishnan, just to provide a bit of context, we are recording this interview a little less than a week away from COP27, the climate conference that's taking place in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. And while this is a convening that is seen as focusing on climate change, which of course it is, the fact of the matter is confronting climate change is just as much about financial solutions as it is about climate solutions. UNCDF has really looked to create a broad portfolio of finance solutions as it relates to climate change, whether it's climate adaptation financing, whether it's clean energy, or what we're going to talk about today, which is climate disaster risk insurance. And I have literally the perfect person here in UNCDF to speak with about that. Krishnan Narasimhan is the program manager for the climate disaster risk insurance with the United Nations Capital Development Fund. He is with me in person in New York and a few days time from this recording, he will be going to Sharm el-Sheikh. We will be talking with him about his program and also the importance of insurance to the effort to address climate change. Krishnan, thank you so much for setting aside the time to speak with us today. Yeah, thank you, David. Thank you for hosting me in this podcast like this afternoon at the UNCDF headquarters. It so happens that I was uh, passing from an earlier conference that was attending on inclusive insurance in Jamaica and on my uh, next leg of visits to COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. So I thought it fit to be in headquarters to meet uh, my colleagues like you. It was an opportune time. I can't think of a more opportune time. That's fantastic. I do want to use this opportunity to hear from you and to hear you unpack what we at UNCDF call the Pacific Insurance Climate Adaptation Program, or PCAP. But before we get to the specific program, I'd love for you to just to speak for a couple minutes about insurance, because so much of the climate change debate and the discussion, you're not hearing a lot about insurance as being relevant in that discussion, even though it clearly is and it's driving your work. So talk about insurance and you deal in a specific kind of insurance that's called parametric insurance. So if you could just take a couple of minutes to discuss those concepts, that would be great. Yeah, thanks, David. I think that's a very relevant question leading up to not only COP, but the overall dialogue on like reducing the protection gap or like bridging the protection gap as we see it. So climate-related natural perils are on the increase. And there are other natural hazards like earthquakes Mm -hmm. that are not directly related to climate change, but do occur. And it's the small, smaller economies that are disproportionately affected and within the smaller economies it's the segments that are vulnerable like women people with disabilities and people with low income who don't have uh, appropriate financing mechanisms uh, to cope up with these climatic shocks overall when we look at this program that we have been implementing since 2021 in the pacific and that has global ramifications in terms of being replicated in other markets, especially in the underdeveloped markets, which I'm trying to do now, broadly looks at climate disaster risk financing and insurance, which means insurance is a component of the work that we are doing. And the parametric insurance is the most important component of the high 
in the CDRFI. CDRFI stands for Climate Disaster Risk Financing and Insurance. The context of the underdeveloped markets, especially the SIDS, the small island developing states, are they have the fiscal like capacity to cope with extreme like weather events. And they also have very limited supply side like capacity to deliver on such solutions. You can't compare that with a first world country that has advanced insurance markets, advanced insurance solutions, mm. or advanced risk transfer solutions. Mm. So when we look at the broader spectrum of addressing disaster risks, it's either you absorb the risk or you transfer the risk. Of course, some risk can be retained also. Some risk, you can say that I'm happy to retain the risk. They can retain the risk. They can retain the risk. Yeah. So you can either avoid the risk or you can retain the risk or you can transfer the risk. So insurance is a risk transfer mechanism right. where you pass on the risk to an insurance player or an insurance company or a reinsurance company or it could be in the form of some other securitization that can take, which means that you're transferring the risk to the financial market for which the individual or the government or the entity pays a premium. So coming to the specific question on parametric insurance, what is parametric insurance? So we all know the regular indemnity type of insurance and many of us would be probably having some form of insurance like for the car, for the house, or for our own like health and disabilities. So indemnity insurance is one that is based on the value of a property and indemnifies the loss on the occurrence of an event. So if there's a fire on the house, then the insurance company will pay to the extent of the actual damage suffered because of that particular event. If right. there's an accident on a car, the insurance company will pay to the extent of the repair for the car or if it's a total loss, they will replace the car. So which means that it's based on the actual loss assessment that is done. Right. In a parametric insurance, right. It's a predefined trigger. It is not based on post-event assessments. Normally, in an indemnity type of insurance, these assessments take months, if not weeks. You need a loss assessor. You need a loss assessment to be done. You need somebody to come and verify the loss. And you need some documentation. In this type of insurance, which is also called index insurance, the event is predefined. It could be on a based on a wind speed that is reached. It could be based on the level of rainfall that is reached. It could be on a lack of rainfall for a drought product. It could be on an earthquake product, which could be based on the Richter scale, a particular seismic level that has been achieved. So the indices are predefined. The customer knows that if it's a category five cyclone, this much is payable. If it's a rainfall exceeding 250 millimeters, I will get this payout. So there is no need of a post event loss assessment, which means that once an event is triggered and that is verified by independent sources, the insurance company directly pays the claim even without the claim being lodged. Got it. The customer need not lodge a claim. The insurance company knows that this customer was in the track of the cyclone. He or she was living within 25 kilometers or 50 kilometers from the path of the cyclone or was in this particular area which got flooded and therefore the claim is directly paid into the bank account or to the mobile wallet without lengthy assessments being done. So I'm um, just to, and thank you for distinguishing between what we would identify as conventional insurance, which is focusing on a damage assessment post-event and parametric insurance, which is based on a, what you call a predetermined trigger. I'm just curious, how do you index for a predefined trigger for coverage under a parametric insurance model? 
Yeah, so once the peril is identified as the one that is causing the most frequent or the most damage or the most financial damage yeah. for a particular country or for a particular market segment, then there are modeling agencies which use data over the last 30, 40 years, which is predominantly the weather or the climate data. Thankfully, over the last 10, 15 years, there's been quite a lot of work done in terms of using both remotely sensed data as well as correlating it with locally sensed data. Of course, the challenges would still be data in markets that don't have enough weather stations, markets that don't have historic data. Developing such models are indeed difficult. But having said that, using advanced like statistical and stochastic models, many risk modelers have come with solutions which can even have five, seven years of data forecast forward. Sure. Uh, so what's going to happen in the next 10 years? What's going to happen in the next 20 years? How frequently are extreme weather events? One in 10 years, one in 20 years. And then based on that, the technical premium for a particular product is fixed. And then based on the market conditions, there's a, there's a catastrophic loading on the premium, then there are profit margins. So the final premium is arrived at based on these. Based uh, on the model. Based okay. on the model. Okay. No, thank you for that. And again, when we talk about your program, we're talking about a program that is already involved in parametric insurance on the ground. We're talking about PCAM. And as I mentioned, it, that stands for the Pacific Insurance Climate Adaptation Program. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about PCAP and its origin and what are the ambitions for PCAP as it was created? Yeah, thanks. So the Pacific Insurance and Climate Adaptation Program is one of the flagship programs within UNCDF for climate disaster risk financing and insurance. So before we started the program in the Pacific, there was no practice within UNCDF that was dealing with the climate disaster risk insurance right. at all. The inclusive digital economy practice has been doing a lot of work on digital financial services. Sure. Similarly, in the Pacific, we had the Pacific Financial Inclusion Program that was doing a lot of work on mobile money, remittances, micro-insurance, payments, etc. And given the vulnerabilities of the Pacific small island developing states towards climate change and impact of natural hazards, and given that they were very limited technical and financial resources, predominantly they didn't have any ex-ante solutions at the micro and the meso level. Which means that after an extreme weather event, they had to wait for external assistance from donors or the government had to scramble and repurpose its existing budget, which means money which was allocated for infrastructure had to be given for disaster relief, which can set back the economy by several years. We thought that it was a development challenge that UNCDF has to rise up to the occasion to address. And after the initial scoping that we did in 2019, 2020, across six or seven markets in the Pacific, there was a consensus emerging among stakeholders, among government, among the insurance regulators and the private sector, as well as the civil society, that a program such as PCAP could address the problem. UNCDF has this market development approach. We are not directly insurance solutions providers, but we can catalyze the private sector to offer such innovative frontier solutions. And in underdeveloped markets, it also means that some of our approaches, the instruments that we use in the form of technical advisory and the blended financing, both in terms of de-risking capital, the grants and the loans and guarantees, plus the digital delivery models that we have done over the last few years can all be put together as part of the ecosystem development, which can move markets that are underdeveloped to offering such solutions and also becoming financially robust markets. 
including, of course, insurance solutions as the ones you're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. And so just to tie things yeah. together, when you talk about our market development approach, UNCDF core to our, our characters, a hybrid development organization is we're able to facilitate the market development that hopefully, and as we have seen, incentivize the private sector to come in and provide the necessary capital in order to create inclusive economies on the ground, whether on the digital side or whether it's creating fiscal space for local governments or what have you. In the case that you're talking about, it's creating these ecosystems where both on the private sector catalyzation side, but also on the digital delivery side, we are able to deliver this insurance solution to, I guess, geographies that we've always identified as last mile geographies. Absolutely. So when we designed the program, we began with a hypothesis that while there are a few other markets, in, especially in South Asia and Africa, and also in Latin America that do have uh, parametric insurance solutions, uh, they're either donor supported heavily, in, including in, in the form of premium payment, or by the government. For example, from even the country where I come from, India, there are large crop insurance programs of the parametric type or the index type, which 80% of the premium is paid by the government and only 20% is paid by the farmers. Mm -hmm. It's highly subsidized. Highly subsidized, right? yeah. And that's why you have like insurance companies pay. But when we are talking about small island developing states and underdeveloped markets, right. the private sector needs the support of the market, but the governments don't have the fiscal space to pay the premiums. And then the donors also would probably support for the first couple of years. And then thereafter, what is the element of sustainability? So we felt that while the really low income segments like people on the, who are in the social protection would need the support uh, through national budgets, there exists a populations that can pay for themselves provided the products are designed or co-created with them they are given the financial skills to understand the importance of insurance, understand the importance of savings. And the delivery models are designed in such a way that the last mile is reached. So, reached, so for yeah. example, in Fiji, where we have started and we have expanded now to Tonga and Vanuatu in the Pacific. Yeah. So the Pacific, I mean, like insurance and climate adaptation program had a two-year inception phase that is ending by December this year. And based on the lessons learned, we are going in for an expansion phase from next year. The first ever parametric insurance product in the Pacific was launched last year in Fiji. And despite the COVID challenges, 1,388 households were covered. And how was it possible? And this was launched by the government, if I'm not mistaken, with support for UNCDF. The whole product was developed with technical assistance by UNCDF. Yes. It was a market-led product, which yes. means that the private sector was involved in launching the product. But the government played a very important role in creating the enabling environment, okay. in making sure that there was strong support for the product from the government as well. Okay. So in terms of aggregation model that we have developed, there are agriculture cooperatives, there are fisheries cooperatives, there are market vendor associations. So they offer this product to their members and they are the actual distributors. Yeah. So we have established linkages between them and the insurance companies, which means that insurance companies underwrite the product but the actual distribution is done by the cooperatives that have the last mile reach. Yeah. And we have also helped to develop the fintech or the insurtech, which is a CRM tool, which can run on mobile phones or tablets, yeah. which can help onboard the customer and directly transfer the data to the insurance company. Plus, we have also linked them up with mobile money operators so that both insurance premium can be paid through the mobile money Plus, if there is a claim, the claim can directly be paid to the beneficiary 
also through mobile money or internet banking. This is a remarkable explication of, to your point, market development, both in terms of, you mentioned the ex ante in terms of the challenge that there's a lack of private capital and a lack of fiscal space just to start. And so in the process, there's a market development approach to address those challenges, but also to your point, there needs to be a digital delivery. And then ex post, you're talking about ensuring that, to your point, you just mentioned CRM, so that there's clear identification of client and or customer and that the tools can reach the end user. This is more than just the deployment of a tool. It's a market development in order to facilitate the solution. Yeah, absolutely. That's tre it's tremendous. I want to shift to COP27. So you're, as of this recording, you're going to be going there in a few days. Just talk a little bit about the engagement that you're anticipating participating in for COP27 and why that engagement is specifically important for the program. Yeah, thanks, David. So, I mean, our, the PCAPS engagement with COP actually started last year at the Glasgow. So last year, of course, uh, due to uh, COVID restrictions and travel restrictions, I did not travel, but I participated in three very useful discussions that laid the foundations for PCAP. Now, at the time, we were just at the start of the program. And we were just two months old. But the contours of the program was even then becoming clearer that it was a big market-led intervention. And there is a growing dialogue around risk transfer solutions and loss and damages, which is very important at the COP. The reason being, some of these small island developing states and other markets are the net sufferers of climate change mm -hmm. or the global warming. So they are not the cause for this situation. Sure. And these are all markets that are not polluters or that are not, that don't have the capacity and, but they disproportionately suffer the effect of climate change. Yeah. So when we talk about insurance solutions, the big question arises as to who pays the premium? Why should, right. okay. yeah. why should a country that has not caused this situation pay premium for itself right. or get its people to pay premium for itself when there are other countries that have caused this situation that should be actually paying? The major carbon emitters and yes. Absolutely. From the COP27 perspective, I am part of five different panels or side events. Two of them are being organized by UNCDF. And while these are specific so the work that we are doing in the Pacific, but we are also involving other UN agencies that are doing similar work in other markets. For example, there's a specific panel that is going to involve the head of delegation of the Fiji government, the head of climate risk insurance from the World Food Program, and also it is going to be moderated by the Munich Climate Insurance Initiative. And there's going to be a high-level sort of representative from the Australian government from Canberra, and I'm going to be part of the panel. So that panel is going to look at how to link insurance with social protection mechanisms. So that's a very important theme. Then there's another panel where I am participating, which is hosted by the V20, which is also important because it's on MSME insurance. Mm. So the small and medium enterprises or the micro, small and medium enterprises are seen as engines of economic growth in many markets, especially the developing markets. Mm. But most often they lack the appropriate insurance mechanisms so much so that whenever there are extreme weather events or even you take the example of the pandemic, so many of the businesses have shut down shop. Why? Because they don't have any financial fallback mechanisms. Yeah. So the same thing happens in this climate vulnerable markets. When there's an extreme event, when there's a drought or when there's a flooding or when there is an extreme typhoon, 
these businesses simply go bankrupt and they just don't re-establish themselves. Yeah. It means that loss of livelihoods. Yeah. It means that economy is really affected. Local economy is affected. Sure. So how can insurance solutions help such small and medium enterprises? And there's going to be a separate conversation on that. And we are actually working with the V20 to develop sustainable SME insurance solutions through the Asia-Pacific uh, Climate Finance Fund, where BMZ is, is the donor. BMZ referring to Germany. The German fund. Yeah. And the Germans themselves are big supporters of insurance as a risk transfer tool. And also to close the production gap, they are likely to announce the Global Shield as part of their G7 presidency. That's much anticipated. And we expect that one of the small island developing states in the Pacific would be part of the Pathfinder countries, uh, so-called. And then UNCDF can play a role in actually implementing the Global Shield solutions. So I have a few more questions and I want to go in a slightly different direction. So if we're thinking of PCAP as a product, let's think of it more as a product than a solution for a second here. Discuss what would be the private sector incentive for just being involved in this market at all. And then particularly from the standpoint of, say, someone looking to invest in a solution of this nature. But what's the private sector motivation for this particular solution? Yeah, absolutely. Initially, I would say that maybe five years back, if you we were talking to the private sector, so reluctantly, they will agree to do this sort of uh, solution with us, saying that it could be part of our CSR. Yeah. Not just simply, or CSR, yeah. Yeah, simply corporate social responsibility. Corporate social responsibility. So we can write this off as one of our foundation activities. But since the whole dialogue on closing the protection gap has taken a different dimension now, especially related to climate events, yeah. I think more and more private sector is realizing the importance of seeing this as a viable market, right? Basically because the understanding of the financial impact or economic impact of climate risks is being elevated thanks to events like COP. So national governments are talking about it. Subnational governments are talking about it. Development partners are talking about it. UN agencies are talking about it. And it is linked to several things like social protection, humanitarian action, anticipatory action. So a whole, whole gamut of discussion is happening around insurance as a solution for extreme events, not only climate, but also other natural perils. Yes. And the frequency and the intensity of these events are seen to be increasing. Unseasonal, even yesterday at night, I was watching the news here, yeah. and they said that like Central Park at 10 p.m. last night was 60 degrees, whereas the average is about 55 for this time of the year. Sure. At 10 p.m. if it's going to be 60 degrees and actually it's warm today. Yeah, It's, it's really warm today. In November, it's warm. It's, it's a, really... war a warm November day yeah. in New York. Yeah. So what do you attribute this to? Yeah. So it, it will definitely have some side effects somewhere. Sure. I think that realization is happening in quite a lot of people and especially in terms of businesses and the private sector insurance companies are also seeing this Sure. because it might affect their other businesses. Sure. Just for example, let's take that if there's an extreme event and especially in the context of a country like Fiji where like tourism is a big business and you have these nice big resorts. If there was a category five cyclone that wipes out some of these resorts and they're not going to rebuild in one year's time, just look at the tourism revenue that is lost. And the tourism revenue also means impact on the insurance company because downstream all the tourist operators are gone, all the taxi operators are gone, all the small businesses are gone. So it is going to affect their premium flow. Yeah. So if they are able to offer solutions where the building back is faster and better, then the industry is not going to suffer as That's much. That's right. 
So therefore, the private sector is now seeing this as a business opportunity. But what is the critical role that UNCDF is playing? So making sure that the proof of concept is established because the insurance companies in those markets don't have the technical capacity to understand what parametric insurance is sure. and how can they make a business case out of it. Yeah. So we are helping them to move from point A to point B where they would have moved from a baseline of zero to level where there are a few products that they can offer in the market and establish a business case. So before we get into any project with the private sector, there are three things that we look at. Is there a demand for the product or solution? Is there a financial feasibility for the customer who is expected to pay the premium or customer is expected to buy the product? Third, is it viable for the service provider who is offering this product? If there is no viability now, what will be the use case that will make it viable? So all these things go through our project proposal yeah. and only then we place it before our investment committee for approval. So just curious because so much of what you've been talking about, particularly this last answer, is around the demonstration of viability. And it was one of the points you made about 10 minutes before was the fact that, in fact, there are end users who in the right developed market could pay for these services. So I'm just curious, as you're making this pitch, what is the aspect of viability that requires the biggest convincing? Or what's the aspect of this insurance field where there is the highest level of skepticism from the standpoint of the private sector? See, from the customer standpoint, because from the private sector, you definitely need a critical mass of critical customers mass. Yeah. that needs to be there in their books, which yeah. will continue to pay the premiums. Yeah. What is the stickiness factor? You could be having you know, maybe 5,000 customers this year. How yeah. do you grow the market to 25,000 customers? So they need to be looking at particular market segments that can be onboarded yeah. or can be brought into their books in a quick manner. Yeah. So that's why these delivery channels are important. So we are now in discussions with the government. We had an earlier experience of an indemnity type of insurance being offered. An indemnity type of insurance. To the social protection beneficiaries in Fiji. And we are arguing with government or we are lobbying with government to extend it also to the climate risk insurance. Okay. Such solutions can immediately move from pilot to scale. Yeah. Right. So you can get 50, 60,000 like customers and that will ensure a steady stream of premium private sector. Yeah. And they are good to go. Then the second thing is we are also talking to some of the superannuation funds that have a large customer base to give this to their members as a value-added benefit. Yeah. That will again move from pilot to scale. So last year we were in the pilot mode in Fiji. This year we were already in the scale mode. Yeah. So last year there were 1,300 people who were covered. This year it's going to exceed 5,000 people. So that itself is a limited scaling up in just one year's time. Yeah. And from the customer point of view, a lot of education is required because... Unless there is an extreme event that happens which results in a claim payment, yeah. how will they see the benefit? How will they see the benefit? While we don't wish for a cyclone to happen, but a happening of an event will mean that there is payout that happens and then they feel the benefit immediately. But that can be a big sort of gap between the reality and what we are projecting. Sure. And that still remains an unknown factor. Sure. It's like taking a health insurance. I was going to say, it's like any insurance conundrum. You run into the same challenge. Yeah. You buy health insurance, you don't wish that you fall sick. You don't sick. wish you don't, that you, yeah. Don't fall sick. But then it's a fallback mechanism. And when it happens, you're appreciative that you have yeah. the coverage. This has been great. I have three more questions. And thank you. This has been really outstanding and super clear. You've been using two terms 
on the one hand, you've been talking about disaster risk financing, and you've been talking about insurance. So for those particularly like myself, who wouldn't be terribly familiar with that distinction, can you just unpack the difference between those two? Sure. So what insurance is part of overall disaster risk financing. Disaster risk financing has to be seen from a layered approach. So there can be macro solutions, there can be meso or middle level solutions, and there can be micro solutions. So what can be at the macro level? So for the government, for the sovereign, they can buy like insurance or they can buy catastrophic bonds. Like some of the countries nearer home, like Mexico has a catastrophic bond. So whenever they are hit by a typhoon, then they get a payout right, from directly from the reinsurance market. That will help them to fasten their relief efforts. And it, it also gives them liquidity. Now, at the middle level or the MISO level, let's say a bank or a, or a lending institution can also go for certain type of instruments. It can go to the capital market and securitize some of its loan books and say that we will pay a premium in the case of a catastrophic event, the insurance company or the capital market will pay back this amount so that the loan book is not wiped out, right? Now, at the micro level, at the community level, even at the household, we are not saying that insurance is the only solution. Even some form of saving that they don't touch. Yeah. Even putting away $2 a week. Sure. Right. But as long as the money is only meant for a particular extreme event. Gotcha. It could even be a funeral in the family. It could yeah. be like somebody breaking their leg. Sure. So that's also like micro-level disaster risk financing. Gotcha. So there are several instruments, some offered by the World Bank, some offered by the African Development Bank, Asian Development Bank. And then the type of solutions that we are developing is something which is not going to be on our balance sheet, but we are helping the private sector to offer these solutions. And these can be bundled together and bundle insurance with savings. You can bundle insurance with loans. So you can have a product that this is the value of loan just because the person has insurance. Just, yeah, just because right. insurance. Right. It can also be triggered loans, which means that on the happening of an extreme event, you get an additional loan of $500 in addition to the $500 that you already right. get. Yeah. These are all various forms of disaster risk financing. Disaster risk financing. I got it. Thank you. Okay. So just a bit of a digression for a moment. Why don't you talk with us about the professional journey that ultimately brought you to UNCDF. Just how you started, how you got here, just to give us some context in terms of how you're now involved in this important initiative. Yeah, well, thanks, David. So I have been with UNCDF almost now for a decade. Mm -hmm. And before that, I used to work for insurance companies, okay. both in India and a few markets in Southeast Asia. And that is what brought me UNCDF because I happened to work for an insurance company in Fiji many years ago. And at that time, we were heavily involved with the formation of the first national financial inclusion task force in that country led by the Reserve Bank of Fiji. Mm -hmm. And they made me the chair of the financial literacy working group there. And that was when I started working with the colleagues in the development space. And I found that my private sector experience could come in handy in terms of development. And personally, you know, like when you work for a private sector, beyond a point, I was the country head for that particular insurance sure. company. And then after that, you have hit the ceiling. And then where do you go? Yeah. So then I said, let's take the leap of faith and then move. Uh, and this opportunity came and of course, I did not know I'm going to get this opportunity yeah. to go through the process. And then when this thing was offered to me, I thought we'll jump. So I joined the Pacific Financial Inclusion Program. I had a good feel of the Pacific at that time. Of course, uh, the Pacific Insurance and Climate Adaptation Program is something which I am trying to build from scratch. 
before the program was started, there was very little insurance capacity within the program. I was the only technical resource that had insurance capacity. And now I'm happy to say that there is a very good second tier team. They are managing the Pacific portfolio while I'm now looking at expanding this beyond the Pacific. I'm engaging in conversations with the donors outside the Pacific, with stakeholders outside the Pacific. And uh, I'm very optimistic that the solutions that we have developed in the Pacific are replicable in other uh, small island developing states and other small underdeveloped markets. That actually leads to the final question, which is, and you're dovetailing right into it, which is, what does success for PCAP look five years from now, per se? Yeah, it's a very pertinent question. And then many people, including the donors that support us, I'm thankful that under the Pacific Insurance and Climate Adaptation Program, PCAP, we have support from the government of New Zealand, the government of Australia, the India-UN Development Partnership, and even Luxembourg. We have been able to crowd in several donors who are supporting the program, and I'm really thankful to all of them. We are already looking at an exit strategy or a sustainability plan. Okay. And what does that look like? Yeah. At least in markets that we've already started, Fiji, Vanuatu, and Tonga, in about the next three to five years, we are looking at the entirely the private sector taking over the delivery of these solutions that we're developing. Strong ownership by the government in terms of policy level changes that need to be made, not many, but need to be made to keep the market afloat or the market sustainable. Yeah. And plus, enough technical capacity being built in all the partners, meaning the insurance partners, the delivery partners, and even the central for offering these solutions on a long-term basis. Perhaps we might need to continue some of the technical assistance that we are providing, but I don't think we need to be hands-on as we are now in three to five years' time. Okay. And then we can replicate this model and look at newer markets at that point in time. And even now, from early next year onwards, we are going to be scoping in three other markets in the Pacific while looking at, at other markets elsewhere. We have interest in the Caribbean. We are also talking to our colleagues in both Asia and Africa. Okay. I hope that by 2025, we should be having this implementation going within 10 markets within UNCDF domain. That is fantastic. Really, again, it's a topic that I personally think does not get enough light when we talk about the global conversation around combating climate change, but obviously it's critically important. Christian Narasimhan, Program Manager with Climate Disaster and Risk Insurance with UNCDF. Again, an incredibly insightful conversation. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thanks for having me on this. Thank you. Capital Musings is a production of the Partnerships Policy and Communications Unit of the United Nations Capital Development Fund. Thank you for tuning in. Eduardo Tanzione, your regular host, will be coming back very soon. Thanks for your patience. This is David McHale. Thank you.